welcome back to the Politics Unbox podcast. My name is Rhys and today we are going to be starting a new segment. Um, it's going to be called Elections Over Time. And in it, I am going to be having a look at uh, various historical elections, uh, analysing the campaigns, the various ways uh, in which politicians got into power, um, how the campaigns went, how the manifestos looked, the results of those elections, and if there are any, depending on how far back I go, the impacts, um, so the, the effects we still see today. And to kick it off, we're going to stay in the very recent past. And by very recent past, I mean um, just over two months ago. And, um, well, we're going to look at the UK general election of 2019. And um, I've only got 15 minutes, so it's going to be a fairly compact guide. But I'm going to try and get through as many of the big stories that went through the election, the the polling analysis, the leaders' results, things like that, as I can in 15 minutes. So to start off with, obviously it is uh, incumbent to have a look at the results of an election. So in 2019, the Conservatives won 365 seats, Labour won 203 seats, the SNP 48, the Liberal Democrats 11, the DUP 8, um, and other parties together got about uh, got 15 seats, I think Sinn Féin. Uh, they got seven seats. Um, they could actually have gone down from there. No, Sinn Féin got seven. Um, the Social Democratic and Labour Party in Northern Ireland, they got two point uh, two seats. The Alliance Party, one point uh, one seat, sorry. And in Wales, Plaid Cymru managed to get themselves four seats. So those are all the parties who won seats in the UK general election, of course. There were other parties who stood, um, parties like the Brexit Party, who got 2% of the vote um, and no seats. Ah, sorry, of course, the Green Party, they got their customary one seat, Caroline Lucas holding Brighton Pavilion there, and they got 2.7% of the vote. But other than that, no parties who stood actually won seats. Um, The big story of this election was, firstly how Boris Johnson managed to turn around Conservative fortunes. Um, This election, if it had been held a couple of months previously, would probably have turned out very differently. Because if we look back in the recent elections that have happened, uh, the European elections, the local council elections, um, the Conservatives have been doing abysmally. Uh, That is not an overstatement. Um, They had got their worst result in a European election ever, They were in fifth place behind the Liberal Democrats, the Brexit Party, the Labour Party, and even the Green Party. Um, For the first time, I think, ever that they'd finished fifth in a national election, um, or certainly for well over 100 years. No, it was the first time the Liberal Democrats had actually finished above Labour and the Conservatives uh, since 1922. But... Uh, the Conservatives, they, well, they were coming off a very bad run of form. They'd lost control of a lot of local councils. Um, they'd lost votes in the local elections and the EU elections. And so for Boris Johnson to come in and turn this Tory party around, so they were a real force in the uh, the general election and uh, sort of a, an all-powerful force in the general election, it was quite something. And he did this 
with the help of Dominic Cummins, his sort of chief advisor who he brought in a few months earlier. Dominic Cummins, of course, the mastermind behind the Vote Leave campaign with the, the big three-word slogan, Take Back Control. He masterminded another win, uh, this time with a separate three-word slogan, Get Brexit Done. Um, you will have heard that incessantly, almost ad nauseum from the Conservative Party, but it does go to show that a simple and easily uh, digestible campaign message really did the trick. Um, this Conservative campaign message resonated with a lot of the people in the country, um, people who perhaps felt they weren't being listened to after having voted to leave the European Union in 2016, and it not having happened yet. Of course, it has happened now. Uh, Britain is officially out of the European Union, so by that measure, Boris Johnson has stuck to the promise he made in the campaign to get Brexit done. Uh, there were also many other promises during the campaign. It was a real watershed moment in this campaign because for the previous sort of three general elections, 2010, 2015 and 2017, although that one to a lesser extent, um, there has been general consensus on the fiscal rules for a country. And it should be balanced budget, trying to reduce budget deficits, austerity if you need it, uh, but on the whole not ramping up the borrowing too excessively. Um, this time around, yes, there's still fiscal responsibility, but you're seeing marked increases in public spending commitments across all the major parties. The Liberal Democrats had some, the Conservatives had some, Labour had the most, and we'll get onto that in just a second, but this was a real rewriting of the fiscal rules. Not so much to remove fiscal responsibility, but um, an expanding of the government expenditure was planned by all major parties in this campaign, and I think most of the people across the UK are crying out for an end to austerity. It really has become uh, a turning in the public mood against austerity, sort of over the last perhaps three years, maybe you can see the, the trickle, the tide turning, perhaps guided by Jeremy Corbyn. And one of the things he did do that Labour Party will thank him for is turning them into an anti-austerity party, because in 2015 they were playing by exactly the same fiscal rules as the Conservatives. Um, Ed Miliband, not particularly divergent in terms of his uh, his ideas on the economy than David Cameron, obviously less of the austerity um, and uh, that issue. However, Jeremy Corbyn changed the tack for the Labour Party. Um, Speaking of Jeremy Corbyn and changing tack for the Labour Party, a lot of people were expecting him to do fairly well in this election. However, he guided the Labour Party to its worst defeat since 1935. Um, it was an appalling night. It was, it was absolutely appalling for the Labour Party. Um, they went down by... Uh, I think over 60 seats, uh, by about 60, 62 seats, I think, actually, uh, in terms of from where they were in 2017. And considering Jeremy Corbyn was meant to be the champion of young people, he was meant to be uh, really this this galvanising figure, turning out the Labour vote and increasing their vote share, it was not a good night for Jeremy Corbyn, and he resigned because of it. Um this campaign from the Labour Party has been the subject of numerous dissections and is essentially the topic of the entire Labour leadership campaign that is running now. You have 
Keir Starmer, Lisa Nandy and Rebecca Long-Bailey, obviously running for all the leadership, and that is in a separate section of this podcast called the Labour Leadership Roundup, which I advise you have a listen to if you are wanting to immerse yourself more in the Labour Leadership election. But the 2019 election campaign was and will be the subject of a number of discussions after this election. Jeremy Corbyn very staunchly sticking by his policies, as he would do. You would expect a leader to stand by most of their policies. Um, Jeremy Corbyn saying that they were all individually popular, uh, and to an extent, yes, he's right there. They are all, to some extent, individually popular. But Jeremy Corbyn said that together... um, It was not the policy uh, or the programme of domestic policy, but rather Brexit that had had cost Labour the election. Um, And you can say that Labour have definitely cost themselves a number of seats in this election. Uh, It wasn't just the Tories winning seats, it was also Labour catastrophically losing them. Um, In order to gain the red wall, uh, the Conservatives first had to wait for Labour Labour's grip on that red wall to loosen, uh, and loosen it did. Uh, The Brexit policy has been blamed a lot by people inside the Labour Party for uh, this catastrophic defeat. Uh, People like Sir Keir Starmer, the Shadow Brexit Secretary, will have questions to answer about that. He certainly was one of the people in Labour's front bench and their Shadow Cabinet who were advocating a more pro-second referendum route. Uh, And indeed, that became party policy. But I think to blame everything in this election at this Brexit question, whilst it was a very important part of the campaign, I think, to lay everything at the door of the Brexit vote is, um, well, it's quite simply ludicrous to think that just because of one policy, this key policy, that such a change could occur... Um, I don't think it looks like a party that takes this electoral defeat seriously if they try and pin it all on one issue. There were obviously a number of issues. Jeremy Corbyn um, seemed to be unpopular on the doorstep, according to many Labour MPs. The renationalisation package, the whole economic policy from Labour seemed to be everything at once rather than what most people would be accustomed to, um, a, a more measured and perhaps more sensible layout of progression um, of this transformation of the economy that he was talking about but whatever happened whatever turned people away from the Labour Party turn away from the Labour Party they did and they did in large enough numbers to ensure that it was consigned to its worst electoral defeat as I said since the 30s if we now look at Scotland the SNP 48 seats that's a good showing for Scotland. There are only 59 seats in Scotland, so the SNP only failing to win, um, only failing to win 11 seats, which is a very good showing for the SNP. But this will be, um, it's a bittersweet, uh, perhaps even a pyrrhic victory for the SNP because yes, they hold all the cards in terms of Scottish Westminster seats uh, essentially, and they are very secure, or it would seem they are quite secure in terms of the Scottish Parliament, they have a Conservative Westminster government who are 
almost diametrically opposed to them in terms of how they want to run the UK. And despite the SNP's protestations, Scotland remains in the United Kingdom and it is important that the SNP remember that when they are trying to deal with the United Kingdom government. Um, they will almost certainly, I am sure, find the government implacably opposed to many of their demands over the coming terms of this government. Um, and indeed, they will probably find their calls for a second Scottish referendum rejected, at least until the next general election, or at least that's where it seems to be headed, that the next general election may well bring out a pledge from one of the major political parties to um, support a second Scottish referendum in order for a slightly easier passage through uh, coalition government. Speaking of um, people not getting what they want, the Liberal Democrats. What a fall that was. From the local elections and the European elections in May and June, where the party was flying high in the polls. In fact, they, they were actually top of one YouGov poll. Um, admittedly, it was sort of a, a four-way tie for first. All of the parties, the Liberal Democrats, the Labour Party, Conservatives and the Brexit Party were all within the margin of error, I believe, for that poll. But top of the poll they came in terms of if there was a general election tomorrow, who would you be most likely to vote for? And from that lofty height of coming second nationally in the EU elections and uh, doing the best out of the local council elections, um, the general election was a shambles. Uh, their leader lost their seat, Jo Swinson. She lost uh, East Dunbartonshire. Um, the number of MPs went down. All of the new MPs who defected from the Conservatives and the Labour Party and then eventually from Change UK or wherever they came from to join the Liberal Democrats, all of them lost their seat. Um, whilst they increased their vote share, the actual number of MPs only went up by a couple. In fact, it stayed pretty similar in terms of how they started in 2017. Yes, Brexit had put the Liberal Democrats back on the map, but it had also turned around and essentially re-wiped them off it for a, a while again. Um, they are going through a leadership crisis of their own. There is as yet no clear date for when the new leader will be in place. But um, there is also no coverage uh, because everyone is far too fixated uh, on the Labour leadership election for anyone to really care who will be the next leader of the Liberal Democrats. So it will be interesting to see how they dig themselves out of their own self-imposed pit um, of sort of electoral oblivion, really. The Liberal Democrats will have a lot of reflection to do over the next few months to see where the party goes next. Because with Brexit out of the way, essentially, uh, as the uh, the United Kingdom has left the European Union, with Brexit technically finished, um, it is just the future agreement to focus on now, uh, this whole tag as Britain's largest Remain party, um, it's dead. It is dead. So the Liberal Democrats have to find a new unique selling point, a new way to market themselves to the electorate. And that will be interesting to see if they can do it. Moving very briefly to Northern Ireland, um, there was a realigning moment in Northern Ireland. As for the first time ever, there were more nationalist MPs sent to Westminster than unionist MPs. Because if you add up uh, the Sinn Féin MPs and the Social Democratic and Labour Party MPs, there were nine. Uh, eight DUP MPs sent back and one um, 
sort of cross-community representative from the Alliance Party Northern Ireland, very much not trying to be unionist or nationalist, um, although it's a hard line to tread in Northern Ireland, I will say. The election will probably go down in history as one of the most important elections in UK political history. Once we, we look back on this period of uh, Britain's exit from the European Union, and as such, 15 minutes doesn't really do it justice. Perhaps I will return to it in a later podcast. But for this particular episode, I am going to draw the line here. Um, the key takeaways, Boris Johnson delivered on his promise. He said he would lead the Conservatives into victory at the next general election, and he did. With his three-word slogans, uh, his promises, and his slick and effective campaign, he was able to rout the Labour Party, led by a flagging Jeremy Corbyn, and essentially reduce the Liberal Democrats, um, led, I use that word very loosely, led um, by Joe Swinson, to sort of the the ashes from whence they had come. The SNP, whilst a good election in theory, it will not get them any of their uh, ideas and achievements unless there is a complete policy change from the Conservative Party. And this shift in Northern Ireland potentially is a push towards United Ireland, with Sinn Féin and the SDLP getting good scores uh, from the public. However, it's a long, long way off. Um, And with those key takeaways, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope to see you around again soon for the next one. And goodbye. (laughs) 